of phantoms and monsters. They exist among us, and sometimes they win. Even the devil was an angel once. The world has its own rules, and these rules are not human. Some of us seek answers to the origin and existence of cryptids and the unexplained. Join us as we venture beyond the known and accepted boundaries. Welcome to our nightmare. I think you're going to like it. Hey folks, good evening and welcome to another episode of phantoms and monsters radio thanks for joining me um phantoms and monsters radio channel is made possible by you clicking on the subscribe and like buttons and by sharing our programming super chat and super thanks donations are appreciated you can click the dollar icon located below the chat box and uh the buy me a coffee link is also available so thanks for your consideration i want to thank uh and or welcome all new members to the channel as well as first timers in the chat if you're listening to me for the first time please like and subscribe to the channel set your notifications and bell icon so you receive word when a new presentation is live or being posted on the channel now if you're in the chat and have a question please use all caps so I want to thank everybody for uh, spending the holidays with Fans of Monsters Radio. We are presenting our annual Creepy Christmas Cheer Show with our Phantoms of Monsters 14 Research team guest. And this year we have Sean Forker, Bernadette Daniel, and in the background, Tommy Carroll is there. And uh, we're bringing together our favorite creepy Christmas stories and reports for your listening pleasure. Uh, the chat will be open uh, for your questions, so be, feel free to post them up there, and we'll try to get them the best we can. Now, before we get started, I do want to say I did receive this from my friend Lala Bright, uh, who uh, does readings, produces organic crystal, organite crystals, and does art. So uh, the link for her website is in the description below. So go ahead and click on there and see what she, what she has to offer. So, well, hey folks, thanks for coming in with me tonight. Hello, old friend. Yeah, you know, for you, for those who don't know, uh, now Sean's on the Fort Rand, uh, Fams and Monsters Fortune Research team, but we started working together. Oh my God, how many years has it been? It's been at least a decade, hasn't it? Well, 2008. So we'll it's, go backwards. It's, it's been oh my a long God. time. Lord. Hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, tell tell the folks about your show while we're on here, um, Sean. Oh, well, be before we do that, I'll keep the uh, shameless promotion going. Send Lon lots of cups of coffee and cash. This is a great show. We need to keep it going. So send him the money, <laughs> folks. Let's make it rain. Don't show. Don't, don't throw your quarters. They hurt, but we'll take your cash. Um, you know, on Monday nights, Lon, I do Sasquatch Experience with, uh, God, I have four co-hosts now. I may have the most co-hosts out of any podcast, but we make it work every week. Vance Nesbitt, Matt Arner, James Baker. 
uh, and Henry May, James Baker and Henry May, both been doing the show with me since 05. So we took a little bit of a break, but we're back Monday nights at nine here on Facebook or YouTube. Just check it out and uh, we'll be glad you, you came by. You can send me money too. I won't say no to, you know, we need <laughs> cash folks. We work for a living. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and Bernadette is with us, Bernadette McDaniel, uh, who before she had her next child, she was doing her show on, on fans of monster radio. So Bernadette say hi to everybody. Mute. You're muted. Okay, can you uh, hear me? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay, so, good. Gee, I, I didn't hear <laughs> yeah, a word so you said, so I, just go ahead and do it again. Before I realized I was... Right. Okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I decided to take some time off to get into the swing of things with two kids and, you know... Being sleep deprived does not help things. <laughs> well, I understand that. Look, I had I had kids eleven years apart, so uh, I had to go through two uh, two sets of mania. So uh, I get three. it, and, and you've got three. So yeah, we all know that. Uh, thanks to Mortal Clown for her donation. I appreciate it. Uh, I got to get her on here too one day. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> so tonight we're here to talk about creepy Christmas. So uh, I'm going to start out with Sean. I know you got something to talk about. Uh, so I'm going to let you go at it and tell us one of your stories and we'll kind of go around the horn. Well, Lon, it's, it's a real story. It was a, uh, so I had been working a case that was given to be my clip by cliff barrickman from finding bigfoot right i'm i'm a bigfoot researcher predominantly and i dabble in other things but bigfoot tends to be my 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 mainstay and uh you know we get a uh, a report that comes in some gentleman when he was out hunt you know going out hunting in the morning witnesses somebody walking in the field on his farm well it's private property seeing somebody out in his field at early in the morning setting up some alarms but thinking maybe it was a you know, wayward hunter, he yells across the field and the thing stops, looks at him. And as the thing starts moving through the field, goes to a hay bale, you know, those round hay bales lawn, right? Mm-hmm. It's about six feet tall when it's lying on its side. And he says, this thing is two feet taller than the hay bale. And it just stands there, looks at him. He yells at it again and it saunters off into the woods. So we get a call to go out and investigate and show up and you know this gentleman's very credible like he's a retired veteran from the marines he teaches mma fighting uh very credible guy not full of crap and so we we built a relationship with him well not long after does he report that sighting in january you know not, i don't even think january was that long we took a break over the holiday season his son christmas morning comes down the steps and now there's this big picture window that's at the bottom of their staircase that faces this field. And in this field, there's a dog run going from the house down to the little shed area down into the woods. Well, as his son's coming down the steps, he sees this large man-like figure walking up the dog run from the woods towards the house. His son's mortified, screams, run over to the couch, lays on the couch crying. 
dad comes running down the steps, you know, what's going on. And, uh, you know, his son's telling his dad that, you know, this is what just happened. Well, having his sighting earlier, now his son just has a sighting, you know, kind of freaks him out. He goes outside, takes a look and the dogs are cowering in their pen near the, the shed area. Now these aren't normal dogs. These dogs are wolf hybrids. Okay. They're mm-hmm. big dogs, Lon, huge dogs. <clears throat> And th- they're not very intimidated by things. And these things are cowering in their, uh, in their pens. And he's had some, uh, had some vocalizations not long after that. But this happened Christmas morning. So you can imagine how the rest of the day went. You come down and ho, 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 Merry Christmas. Your son's screaming on the couch because this, you know, large figure comes, you know, lumbering up their dog shed. And that was just the second sighting. We went out there many times uh, throughout that winter. And I'm a winter researcher to begin with, but you know, we're going out there a lot. It's negative 10 degrees by the Creek side, uh, you know, out there, we got some calls, vocalizations. Um, the one night we were out there on this giant boulder, I don't want to okay. That's a little bit of a hyperbole, but this giant rock was thrown and bounced against a guardrail and made such a smash. It scared the hell out of all of us came out of nowhere. Something large and powerful had to pick that up and chuck it against that guardrail. Right. So now you had his sighting in November, his son sighting in on Christmas. And uh throughout that winter, you know, it was a pretty intense winter in that area. But come springtime, uh, you know, it started dissipating. And then we had one final text message where he was finding some, you know, tree breaks, and then I've never heard from him again. Hmm. I don't know what happened. It just dried up. I never heard anything from him after that. So I've been trying to reconnect with this witness. And when I was doing a presentation in the summer this year, the town I was talking about, the town of Catawissa, one of the people in attendance was the town magistrate. And he pulls me aside. It's the only, okay, it's the only presentation my wife's ever come to of mine, okay? And this guy somehow manages to sit next to her at the back of the room and they're chatting it up. And she goes, you're not going to, this guy wants to talk to you. You're not going to believe who he is. So we have a conversation. So this guy is going to try to get uh, me back in touch with the witness and try to get me back out in that area. Cause I still firmly believe there's a lot going on um, in that particular part of the state. There's a lot of other witnesses that uh, are starting to come forward from those parts of PA where we've not had a lot of reports from. Uh, in the past. So I'm excited to see what happens. Christmas story creepy because it happened that morning, Christmas morning. Mm. And, um, you know, I don't know. I, I think we tend to get a little busier here in the winter months in Pennsylvania. Than, I think we do. In most places. Well, people are seeing tracks in the snow. And of course, they're. <laughs> it's the easiest way to identify something big as roaming around. What county was this in? That was in, uh, let's see, it would be Columbia County. Oh, okay. Yeah, we don't hear much out of there. No, you don't. Not whole whole area. Columbia, Montour, Northumberland, Snyder, that little area. Union County is quiet, but, you know, it borders right up against Lycoming County, and it starts going up in that northern part of the state. Where, And let's be honest, that entire northern part of the state, up until the last probably 10 years, has been absent of reports because there was nobody up there to collect them. And now that people know that I'm here and yeah. Matt Arner... And, uh, you know, the only person that was out there beforehand was really Joe Biello. Mm-hmm. It, uh, you know, we're starting to get those reports now more frequently. And it's amazing the people they're coming from. You know, somebody from uh, the uh, Fish and Game, we had a report from them in 2016. He's a fish commissioner. I had, a, you know, utmost respect for him. Uh, 
you know, police officers. We I got a report this summer from a police officer who may have something on this body cam. But mm. we're trying to get clearance to get that. You just can't, you know. No, you we'll see how that it. happens. We'll see how that goes. And the magistrate's trying to help us with that too. So uh, it's just really interesting some of the things we're, we're, that are coming out in this area. And, of course, Lon, you know, not Christmas-related, but it is the home of the Todd, Todd C's case, right? Which, uh, well, absolutely. As, I was just going to say Northumberland <laughs> is big for UFO right. activity and other crazy stuff. So, uh, And, you yeah. know, more seems to pop from that every so often than we anticipate. So one little, I guess I could say little Christmas, Christmas story there, but... Uh, the winter month in general, like I said, is very fruitful in this area for the for the big fella. Yeah. Huh. Well, you know, I haven't had a. I had one sighting, and I well, you know about it. I had one report come in up in uh, it wasn't Potter County, I think it was the county east of that. Uh, maybe that was Columbia. Was that Columbia County? I don't know. But anyway, uh, I did have one report. They were out there hunting for Christmas trees. And they saw this thing out there. So, um, yeah, I forgot all about that. I didn't even think about that until you mentioned it. But, yeah, we did. That, they were out hunting for a Christmas tree when Bigfoot was sighted. You know, now near that area that you're talking about, uh, yeah. there is an apple orchard out that way. And, you know, Rick Fisher, you know, has these stories of the Albatwitch that he's been, you know, sure. collecting and, and sharing over the years. Uh, we had a farmer back when the PBS was really hot back in the day. Back in the day, uh, Back in the day. that claims he has something on photo, and we were never able to retrieve the photograph or even get a hold of the farmer. And as I narrowed it down to who I believe it was, the uh, gentleman has now been since passed away. So mm. I don't know if we'll ever get it. But uh, you know, there's apple orchards out that way, and I'm, you know, I'm pretty sure that this, the, these little Bigfoot, Albatwitch, or whatever, or just your natural Bigfoot, are uh, love these love these apple orchards. Free food. Why would you not? Oh, absolutely. Oh, you know, down this way, that's what they're, you know, we've got apple orchards everywhere around here. And, uh, you know, that's what they're, that's where people see them a lot. You know, if you go into, um, into, uh, uh, Misho State Forest, well, I mean, the whole, the whole border of Misho has got apple orchards all around. So, yeah, you know, they got plenty of food up there. So, Okay, Bernadette, you've got something to tell us. So my Christmas story is not Bigfoot related. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Doesn't it's have to be. Actually, it's weirdly like it is. It's I, I don't have a I don't have a Bigfoot um yeah. tale. So my creepy Christmas story is actually Santa related, oddly enough. So it was like the year I'd found out when Santa was not real, but I was, I was still young enough to be like, you know, he is real, even though I was told he wasn't. And so I went to bed Christmas Eve and I, I was in such denial. I was like, he is real. And so where, you yeah, you know, you know where I lived. I lived up on top of the mountain and mm -hmm. everything happens up there. So. I'm I'm laying there and I can still picture like the, how my room was laid out and everything and so from my right side I could hear like this sound and up on the mountain there's no cars I mean there's no neighbors we were the only family and everything and and it got louder and louder and it was sleigh bells 
it was it was literally sleigh bells and it was so loud it went over the house and i mean i jumped out of bed and i ran next door to my mom's room and i said to her do you hear this and she always slept with the tv on and like the news was on and she sat up and i'm like listen and she looked at me and she turned white and i'm like do you hear that that is that is santa's play i'm like let's go out so she's like no we're not going outside <laughs> i said but do you hear this i was so excited she's like i i hear it i don't know what it is but we're not going outside and and you could hear it just going down towards like ligonier pittsburgh way and mm -hmm. i was like so excited and like convinced and everything so when thomas and i you know got together years later i i you know i told him i mentioned this i had said you know i have this weird story and all this and he's like i heard those because he had lived in jennerstown which where i said it came from the right that would have been the right yeah. that would have been the other side of the mountain he said he had heard those same sleigh bells i had never told anyone that and he's like he had heard those sleigh bells yeah well, that's right on the ridge, isn't it? No, I didn't see anything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I sure thought that is. was along the ridge. I I never saw anything. Yeah, I never yeah, I never saw anything, but I heard I mean classic sounding sleigh bells that were I mean, they started in the distance and then they got louder and louder until they were deafening. Wow. A little non I've never heard anything like that since. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> yeah, that's right up yeah. on Chestnut Ridge. So just something else to chalk up with the Chestnut Ridge. Range bells. Yeah. And when he when he weird. told me that he heard that, I was very shocked. Yeah. Mm. I was very shocked because I'd never told anyone else that. I've never heard anyone else tell me that they heard that up there or around here. And when he said that, I was like, you're kidding. He's like, no, I heard them. <laughs> Wow. So I don't know well, what they were. I mean, that's, yeah. If, if I were to say what they were, they sounded like classic Santa sleigh bells to me. So interesting. I didn't hear any pattering on the rooftop, did you? No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> and well. I wanted to go out there so bad and see what they were. But she just would not let me. I mean, she she looked like a sheet. She was so scared. She was like, "I don't know what this is, but no, you're not going out there." She acknowledged <laughs> she heard it, but that was as far as she was going to. She wouldn't even let me near the window, like her window faced like towards Ligonier Way. And I'm like, I went to her number. She's like, "Nope, you stay by the bed. You stay right here." <laughs> She's like, "You don't go near that window." <laughs> Yeah, well, I, honestly, I, so. you know, you, you being her kid, I probably wouldn't let my kid do that either. So, God yeah. knows. <laughs> no. Well, I've got a story that I have been posting what? almost every year since I've been doing the blog. And I, I only ever read it one time on the air, and that was for Dave Scott. So I'm going to go ahead and read it tonight. I don't know how many people have heard it, but I'm going to read it anyway because it's so weird. But uh, this was forwarded to me back in 1998. Now, I was told that this is a true tale despite the bizarre details. Uh, even though it, it's holiday-related, it ha I had some reservations originally since there's a combination of death and Christmas. 
But nonetheless, I receive, you know, I receive requests from other bloggers every year to use on their site. So, um, so here goes. So, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear what people think about this because it, it, it seems like it really can't get any straight answer from anyone as to what this was. So here we go. So the letter started out, hello, I have a disturbing Christmas-related story that took place in a remote small town located on Mount Desert Island, Maine. My name is George, and I have lived here all my life. I hesitate to name the town since this story could carry unintended consequences for the residents. I know that the story is true because I was a witness to it. It started in early December of 1960 when I was age 12. Each week, my mother and I would walk to the local supply store to stock up on whatever we needed at the time. We didn't have the car because my father used it for his work as a state employee. He was away from home for several days at a time. The walk wasn't too far, but it was a bit hard during the winter since uh, we had heavy snow at times. Now, the store was owned by a wiry old man named Big John Corneau. Now, Big John was well-known in the area since he was a sort of a legend after he had saved the life of a girl in the 1930s who had been attacked by a rogue gray wolf. He would show the scars on his arms from the confrontation to the local kids when they'd come into the store with their parents. Big John was also a storyteller. And I mean some real whopper tales, especially when it pertained to his personal history. Now, on this day, I was admiring Big John's small Christmas tree with wooden ornaments that he claimed he carved himself. There were all sorts of animals, including bears, elephants, tigers, etc. There must have been 50 or so wooden ornaments. Now, as I stood in amazement at the detail in these carvings, Big John walked up to me and sat down in a rocking chair beside the wood stove. He lit his small black pipe, sat back, and rocked away while watching me examine the Christmas tree. After a minute or so, John asked me if I believed in Santa Claus. Now, I was surprised by the question, but assured him that I no longer believed in the legend. John looked away, smiled, and said, well, that's good. I didn't want you to be disappointed this year. I was confused by his statement. What did he mean? A few days later, my mother asked me to walk to the store for a few items she needed. My aunt had stopped over for a visit, and my mother was busy with her, so I made the long loan jaunt, jaunt myself. This wasn't unusual since I was now old enough to do this on my own. When I reached the store, Big John was sitting in his rocking chair reading a magazine. He looked up and asked me if he could talk to me. I sat down on the small chair on the other side of the wood stove, anticipating one of Big John's tall tales. What he told me was more than I ever expected. Big John's demeanor started to change. Whatever he was going to tell me was probably more serious than one of his typical parables. He looked into my eyes and said, something unusual happened last Christmas Eve. He paused and continued. I saw the dead body of Santa Claus. Well, I'm not sure what my facial expression was, but I can tell you what I was thinking. This old man was four quarters short of a dollar. 
again, he said, I really did see Santa Claus's dead body. Now I'm thinking to myself, why is he telling me this? So he started to explain what happened. Last Christmas Eve, he was at home getting ready for the drive to his sister's house on Christmas Day. He then heard a huge crashing sound in the woods near the house. He looked out the bedroom window but couldn't see anything, so he decided to investigate. The snow was very deep all around the property and into the woods. It was a clear, cold night, and the moonlight was bright. Big John held a camp lantern in front of him as he made his way through the pine forest. Then he saw something lying in the snow. Now, as he got closer, he noticed a man with a blood-stained white beard and hair dressed in a tattered red-colored coat and pants. Big John knelt to check the man's condition. It was obvious that he was dead. In fact, the body was terribly mangled, though there was little little noticeable blood. Now, the body looked as if it had been dead for a few days. Big John explained that he reported finding the body to the authorities who soon retrieved the remains. He said that the police told him that they wanted to keep the death quiet until they determined the identification of the deceased. He agreed not to mention the incident. I asked Big John, well, why are you telling me? What are you telling me? He smiled and said, because I have to tell someone. He got up from his rocking chair, walked behind the counter, and reached into a drawer. He walked back toward me and handed me a pair of wire frames without the lenses. Take these. These belong to Santa Claus. I placed the wire frames in my pocket and told Big John that I had to get going because it was getting late. Brought the items I came. I bought the items that I came for and hurriedly left the store. My head was buzzing all the way home. For two days, I wondered why Big John decided to tell me the story. I eventually determined that this was just one of uh, Big John's ruses. I placed the wireframes in a shoebox and pushed it deep into the recesses of my messy closet. On Christmas Eve, my mother came home after walking to the store. I was sitting at the table working on a new jigsaw puzzle. I heard her asking someone on the phone if they knew why Big John's store was closed. Now, by that time, my father was home, so he decided to drive to Big John's house to make sure he was okay. After an hour or so, my father returned and said that Big John wasn't home, but his car was in the driveway. He had also noticed smoke coming from the chimney, so the fireplace was still burning. He decided to call to the uh, decided to call the local sheriff and make an inquiry. Now, after several days, no one had seen Big John. His uh, relatives and friends were contacted, but no one had any information. The sheriff was finally convinced that something was wrong, so he entered the house. Nothing unusual was found. No clues as to Big John's whereabouts. The next logical place to look was the store. Now, here's where the story gets fuzzy. I had no knowledge of what the sheriff had found until my father told me a few years later. Now, while searching the inside of the store, the sheriff and the deputy found a large mound of old rugs in the middle of the ground cellar floor. 
the deputy started to remove the rugs until he started to notice an unmistakable odor. Before he removed more rugs, the district coroner was called to the location. What they discovered was both unusual and confusing. There were skeletal remains of a human body with a tattered red coat and pants. Well, I'm sure my jaw, my jaw noticeably dropped. I told my father the, the story Big John had told me. Eventually, I told the same to the sheriff, and I also retrieved the pair of wireframes and handed it over to the state police. Now, since that time, I have not heard or seen anything further concerning this incident. I suppose there are various scenarios that could be created from this story, but I just wish I knew what happened to Big John. So anyway, I, I uh, as a side note to this, uh, you know, at the time at the time I received this story in 1998, there had been no information on Big John Cordeaux or the body found in the cellar. I did confirm through the constable in Ellsworth, Maine, who had acquaintances living nearby, that a situation with a few similar circumstances did occur in a hamlet in northeast section of the island, very near the Acadia National Park in the early 1960s. He was unfamiliar with Big John Corneau, or if the case was ever resolved. So that's my story. <laughs> Did they test the bones to see who the bones belonged to? I don't know. You know... I don't know. I mean, you With know, I, I did John. ask George that, and George, he didn't know. There was no information. I don't know if they kept it quiet. I don't know, just for good reason, uh, if they ever identified the body, if they ever found John. I, I don't think they did. I have made inquiries several times about this, and his name just does not register. I don't know if he was living under a false name or what the deal was. So, so uh, but what if what if the bones were John's bones? Well, that's just it. Yeah. But you know, if they were, boy, he uh killed Santa. He, it was it was quick. I mean, he he yeah. uh de decomped real quick if that's the case. But they said the bones were pretty pretty clean though, right? What if somebody yeah. chemically uh chemically suited those bones for their own purposes? Possibly. Possibly. Yeah. It's a strange story. I, you know, I, I, I go back and I mean, read it every once in a while, just trying to figure out what I can come up with it, but it's just really bizarre. Well, I mean, know. is there a record of the other body that he found? No. Like no, that he know, said he the, found or no? When the, when the sheriff and the deputy picked it up, it was sent to the state lab. Now, this is an island. This is an island off the coast of um, off the coast of Maine near Acadia National Forest. So if they sent the body or what the remains mm -hmm. were, they had sent to Portland because that's where the, uh, the, you know, the state corner is. Uh, but there's no hide and hair, <laughs> no pun intended, mm -hmm. of where this body is. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know what the deal is with this story. I don't know. Now you got me going down the the uh, rabbit hole. I hope nobody checks my search That's history tomorrow. So weird. I killed Santa Claus is going to be like, <laughs> I'm going to need bail money on. Thanks. Yeah, well. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's that that's probably one of the weirdest stories I've probably ever received. But uh, weird, it's if, messed up, man. That's just yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah, it is. So. Forget yeah. Grandma got run over by a reindeer being morbid. <laughs> oh, so you got anything else for us? Sean? I mean, and I don't think I would have turned. Go ahead, go ahead, Bernadette. I was gonna say I didn't. I wouldn't have turned those glasses over, though. I would. Have, I would have showed them, but I don't think I would have gave it to them to to keep. Well, twelve year old kid, now, you know. They, now they don't have, you know. Yeah. 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 I, and Joshua asked in the in the chat, "I wonder what the crash was." Well, who knows? You know. I mean, the Is fact that, that he, body. It's yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he was setting the kid up for some type of um, excuse to why he disappeared for some reason. Or now, think about that: you get a disgruntled kid who didn't get what he wanted for Christmas, kills a department store Santa Claus. (laughs) Right? You've got your alibi. (laughs) So he. he gives the kid the glasses, so the kid now has evidence with his fingerprints all over it. I never John thought about fled that. the scene, and now the little 13-year-old kid killed Santa, and we got a whole situation in our hands. <laughs> it's brilliant. Yeah, it's a bizarre story. So You, uh, just, you probably, just went way down that rabbit hole, didn't you? <laughs> that's where the brain goes, yeah. because, you know, all that yeah, true crime I mean, shit I, my wife makes why... me watch. <laughs> <laughs> so has anybody got anything else I was relying on you for more long because you have all the good stuff oh, I've got all plenty. I can think about all I can think about you remember the the Conjuring 2 right the movie The Conjuring 2 you and I talked about that well before sure. Warner Brothers made that into a movie oh absolutely and you had your you know hands on that case beforehand but like, some of that happened over Christmas time it did Right, and it that's did. like just messed up. Yeah, I um, that whole that whole case is was so bizarre. I mean, the film didn't do it justice. I mean, it really did. The first, second, in the third was you know I don't know what that was all about, but um, a lot of that case did not get into the movie. Um. Right. I, I don't want to disparage Lorraine and Ed, but you know, there was a, just a lot of that that didn't get out. Now, I had talked to a lot of the family at the time and uh, kind of not official, you know, uh, but that, that whole thing was bizarre. Um, did, I mean, did it really happen the way that Ed and Lorraine described it as happening. It could have. Um, but I, I, I think some of the family had different interpretations of what they thought had happened. Is that so, uncommon? You know, everybody yeah. perceives stuff differently, right? So maybe it doesn't have to be anything that's nefarious in any way, shape, or form. It's just, the, it's just perception, right? And what if yeah. one of the things that you know, made that entity or whatever it was more powerful is its ability to make people perceive things differently. If you can't corroborate a story, 
you know, you just got a bunch of people that are out to look like they're crazy and you win even more. Yeah. I mean, we're giving yeah. a lot of credit to a spirit or a poltergeist or whatever they want to call that thing. It's not a poltergeist. Let's be honest. I think we can dispel poltergeist from classify our entities more correctly, right? Yeah. Yeah. But it's, uh, you know, definitely interesting stories. Like so many of these haunted tauntings that happen. It, today, when I was in the car, I was thinking about, you know, some of the first, you know, real paranormal encounters. And I'm sitting here thinking of how smart Charles Dickens was, right? Because he creates this, you know, spellbinding paranormal encounter. Could it have been a dream? Could it have not been a dream for Ebenezer Scrooge, right? A Christmas mm -hmm. Carol's the best ghost story there is. Absolutely. And, you know, the one thing about the Christmas Carol, all the veterations of that story it still comes down to the same story. Uh, it's kind of hard to screw that one up. Right. Uh, people have tried, but you know, it's, it, it still comes down to the original story. Yeah, Vinny, I, I doubt Vinny's getting up. Vinny's over here sleeping. He, I mean, I'm, people in the chat are asking for <laughs> Vinny. Which, Vinny's which getting old. More, he, he's he the real star of the now. show. <laughs> Lon, which, uh -huh. which ghost was more impactful for you? Was it Jacob Marley? Was it past, present, or yet to come? Um, you know, every every entity in that in that story has got a real profound effect on anybody who watches it or reads it or reads it. Reading it, I have read it, and it, you know, reading it is is ten times better than actually watching a film. Uh, you know, but because the way it was written at the time, you know, you know how the uh, Victorian novels were written at that time, and you know, it's it had that certain panache to it that made it more creepy, you know, the uh, than than what you can really portray on film. They, I mean, the original films were pretty good. Even even the Bill, I mean the Bill Murray, I mean, it's great. Scrooge, was yeah, wonderful. Scrooge. That was that was a masterpiece in my mind. But um, the Muppet. I mean, they Christmas modernized it. it. It was a good story. So Muppet <laughs> Christmas Carol. That's the best one. Yeah, yeah. But you know, for me, it's always the ghost of Christmas present because you can't fix the past. No. You can always change the future. Yeah. But damn, you're stuck in the present. Right. And that one's just always a little bit more, you know, makes me more trepidatious about what I do, how I treat people, what I say most of the time. You know, I can be an idiot, Lon, but, you know, I tend to try to, you know, live pretty presently in the moment so I don't make those mistakes. <laughs> OK, well, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to give you I'm going to give you another Christmas time story that it, that involves the mothman actually now mothman. this is kind of strange and this is a true story so but it's not around the time of the original mothman it's before that but anyway i received this 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 uh email from an, an older woman who had lived in west virginia and um she was very familiar with the mothman phenomena but just let me read what she sent me. So, hello, sir. 
A friend referred me to your articles about strange occurrences in West Virginia. The Mothman encounters stirred memories of an incident that took place when I was a girl. The strange incident took place near Palton, West Virginia, in December of 1934. I was eight years old. Now, at the time, my father worked for Elkhorn Piney Coal in McDunn. He and the other miners would take a train to the mine each day. Now, the day before Christmas Eve, my father mentioned an unusual sighting he and the others on the train had while traveling back to Palton from the mine that evening. Now, as they looked out towards the east, they noticed a very large bird flying above the trees. Now, my father was a very simple man and didn't believe in any nonsense, but this large bird really caught his attention. He described it as a freakish-sized owl, very dark in color. The sky was getting dark, but they could still make out the large form. He said it also looked at the train as it flew over the trees. Nobody on the train could figure out what it was. The mere fact that my father even mentioned it suggested that it must have been an unusual sight. Now, my father was scheduled off from work for three days during the Christmas holiday. On December 27th, he was getting ready for work but said he felt poorly. My mother was concerned because he had a high fever and awful chills. She insisted he stay home and telephone the doctor. My father was reluctant to stay home and put up a good argument, but my mother was not going to back down. She put him to bed and waited for the doctor. Well, we waited for hours until the phone rang. The operator told my mother, that the doctor was at McDunn, there had been a horrible train explosion. She couldn't talk, but said that the doctor's wife asked her to contact us. Now, my mother was pale when she told my father what had happened. I remember they both started praying and crying. For years, both thought the large bird was an angel sent by God as a warning, and that my father's life was saved for a reason. Now, my father never went back to the mine. It turned out that he had contracted polio, though he was very lucky since he survived it with only a slight limp. He soon moved, we soon moved away to a small town in Kentucky where my father found the calling and became a Pentecostal preacher. He told his story of survival to anyone who would listen until the day he died. It happened, I happened to read your stories while looking on the internet with my great-grandson. I always assumed my father saw something more divine. That's what he always believed. I'm not so sure now, so thank you, and her name was Emma. Now, the disaster that Emma was referring to was a locomotive bowler explosion at McDonough on uh, December 27, 1934. It was a bowler in a locomotive that was hauling the mine workers at McDonough in Fayette County. Uh, it exploded, resulting in the death of 18 miners. Uh, and I also had, in the, in the account, I also put a newspaper uh, account of the explosion. So, was it an angel? Was it a mothman? Was it a harbinger? What was it? Interesting. 
is what that is. There's the, uh, I was down in Center County, not Center County, I'm sorry, down in Columbia, PA. I don't know what county mm-hmm. it is off the top of my head. That's Lancaster. Uh, when I was when I was in the Albatwitch Festival, right. in the area they have the conference, the speakers, they have a uh, railroad museum in there. And I took some photos, and I wonder if I have that story on my phone somewhere from the pictures I took, because they have railroad disasters in Pennsylvania nearby in that. Okay. And I'll have to look and see if I can find more info on that. Because that. it's just so interesting how that these things happen in that area, and they have these... I don't know what you want to say prophetic, but they have these encounters with some strange entity. And a large yeah. owl lawn is not, you know, that uncommon for what folks have reported when they've seen Mothman. Well, you know, early on in Chicago, the early sightings were of um, Owlman. And right. uh, I had some sightings in Pennsylvania, in particular one in Armstrong County, where this this guy, he was a music teacher, saw this thing land near his studio several times. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, this, the whole Mothman, Owlman thing. And of course, John Downs talked about his, with the mall, the Malwin, Owlman of Malwin in, in Cornwall. Uh, that's a, in, in great, in UK, that's, um, that's a well-known account. He wrote the book on it and kind of brought it to the forefront. Uh, you know, you know John and I have talked too. about a lot of these winged humanoid sightings. When did that? Uh, and we uh, interviewed. Him. Did... We happened to interview him one time when we were in Memphis radio. Yeah, yeah, so, we did. Yeah. It was a great interview, Lon. When did that train accident happen again? Nineteen thirty-four. Um, what was the date? Uh, December twenty-seventh. Okay, well, that December month in that area is just bad for business, yeah. anyhow, because you know today is the anniversary of the bridge collapse, and yes, it is. Yes, it is. I forgot all about that. Ten days before Christmas. Yeah, today's the yeah. day. So, and how many? That was in nineteen sixty-seven. So, I mean, it's been, yeah, whew, you know, yeah, you know, crazy. You know, that's why this whole thing. Um, and of course, you know that. You know, my thoughts on the harbinger theory, and you know, forty-six people dying in a small town, and people are looking for reasons as to why it happened and being close to Christmas as well. You know, just put yourself in that, in, in Point Pleasant at that period. And, uh, you know, think about how you would react. And, you know, back then with, with that happened, especially if somebody you knew passed away. And I believe most people knew somebody who had died in that. So. Yeah, it, it, it's, you know, still apparent in that town, they, you, this feelings and the tribute. They have a nice little monument there um, yeah. in the town. I go back to Point Pleasant every year for the Mothman Festival. I got to go back. You do. It, it's a phenomenal. I think it's a phenomenal event. Jeff Wamsley's yeah. a great guy. but And the town's just a beautiful little town. And it's, yeah. it's just interesting and sad because there is a sadness around it. And, you know, talking to some of the people, um, you know, T.J. Owens, a good friend of mine, his girlfriend, uh, Cheryl, they have, you know, they knew people, you know, from that tragedy. And sure. it's just, it has a long lasting impact. Jeff Wamsley himself still remembers the sound from when he was like six or seven years old when that happened. Right. And that's yeah, not a large t- town. 
Yeah, Tim Shaw, who's part of our yeah. team, he lives in Point Pleasant. He's known, he knew several people that were related to people who had passed. Um, so um, he knew a lot of he knew a lot of the people that were involved with the investigation. You know, when John Keel eventually went down there and started looking into it. But um, the town I'm going to retire to, you know, I keep saying that. I mean, are it. you? Yeah, it's on my list of things. You know, I'm going to retire to that town. I love it. It's beautiful. I haven't been. I haven't been down there in. Oh my God, it's been a decade or more. You know, but, I've um, never yeah, been there. <laughs> yeah, gotta I got to go down again. It, it, yeah, right. It. You know, I've been. You know, I investigated that the West Virginia Ordinance Works or the TNT plant. People call it numerous times back in the uh back in the 80s and 90s and uh well especially after i had my encounter in 1988 i was really fascinated with what had happened and um yeah i really got into it there for a while and then funny enough i, I, I get all the I, i'm getting these in part of this investigation in chicago which i i think there's something connected there somehow there are just too many things that are coincidental so who knows um, I, I, I want to thank Win Nyes for their donation, and I want to thank Mike uh, Rastatter, Mike Rastatter, for his donation as well. It's much appreciated, folks. Um, so yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, I got to get back down there. Maybe we'll hook up. Maybe we'll hook up and go down there one day. Right. We still got to come down from the Gettysburg tour, you know. So we'll do that, and then we'll swing down. It'll be we'll make a whole week of it. That's what we'll do. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm retired now, so I can, you know, not that it really mattered before, but I'm retired now, so I can kind of go when and where I want to. Yeah, so uh, plans. Yeah, yeah. Um, so does anybody else have another story? Because if not, I. Yeah, I have one more. I don't know. I'll be honest. I don't know how paranormal it is. Okay. Well, because I'll preference this by saying that there's a, an alleged game reserve for very rich people where they kind of, you know, bring in specialty animals and things like that. That is the rumor okay. around here. Okay. Okay. So on the mountain, <laughs> on the mountain one day, like we, we had been coming home from like trope because that's where my mom had like the shop and we had come home and when we turned to go like we lived back in the village on top of the mountain we turned on the first road and right there there was about four or five reindeer and they were just like reindeer? standing there reindeer yeah reindeer wow because because I, and obviously it's like pennsylvania so you're always on the lookout for deer so mm -hmm. I, you know, especially at night and like, I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm watching and I scream reindeer and my mom just like slammed on the brakes and it was snowing and they were sitting right there and she's like staring at them. I'm like, those are, are those reindeer? And she's like, yeah. And she's sitting there and she's like, I don't, I don't know. I'm like, what do you mean? What do you mean? You don't know. You just said, she's like. I don't know where they came from. She's like, they're not from uh -huh. around here. I'm like, I, and I was still small. And I was like, they're Santa's. And she's like, okay. And she gets home and, you know, 
she's talking to my grandmother because I went to bed. I could hear them talking. And she's like, I don't know where these deer came from. She's like, maybe they they got loose from the preserve. Maybe that's what where they're from. And my grandmother's like, are you sure they have them there? She's like, I have no idea. But I remember it clear as day. And I, I still remember huh. the spot they were standing in and everything. There was there was at least five. Well, now, I've heard and I've, of this I've before. Pennsylvania, you know. <laughs> right. I've heard about this importing, you know, rare and exotic, I should say exotic animals yeah. in for, you know, people of, you know, yeah. substance <laughs> yeah. to uh, hunt, right. you know, which is ridiculous. But um, that's, yeah. you know, reindeer loose in Pennsylvania. That's yeah. all we need. Elk are bad enough. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, the elk population is weird, really yeah. exploding. So, yeah. you know, and you, you don't have that down this way. Car. You don't have the elk. Yeah. Oh, no. really? Yeah. Yeah. No, and that's up was, in uh, north. Yeah. Yeah, like Potter. There was elk nothing County heard about them ever pretty. again either. Right. Hmm. Matt Arner. You know, a a, around here. We up in the Pigeon Hills, and I, if Chad was here, he'd know about it. But in the Pigeon Hills, uh, outside of Hanover, uh, they used to have a game preserve up there, and they used to bring in, <laughs> they used to bring in European boar until they got loose. Oh, wow. oh my God! Yeah, my grandmother told me that story. I mean, they, they, I mean, there, there were, there were boar coming down out the hills going into town and you know a, a european boar is a huge animal and they are they are dangerous and uh yeah so um you know it wouldn't surprise me you know pennsylvania is such a weird yeah. state because <laughs> it is it, it, there's just so much crazy stuff that goes on and you know it's like the old story like um uh, which i always thought was funny because i was living in maryland at the time and I used to go down to Green Spring out in um, out in Washington County and go deer hunting up there. And uh, I was talking to one of the residents, and he was telling me, he said, you know, it's funny. Pennsylvania has got all kinds of, all kinds of uh, you know, game and everything that Maryland doesn't. It's almost like they know where the border is. And he said, I'll tell you a story. He said... Back in the 1970s, Pennsylvania made a deal with uh, with Maryland that they would make a trade, that they would uh, import wild turkeys from Pennsylvania, and they'd, they'd give um, Pennsylvania the, I guess it was sick of deer at the time that they were exchanging because a small sick of deer down on the eastern shore. I don't know where they put them in Pennsylvania because I never heard of sick of deer in Pennsylvania, but anyway... So what they do, you know, when they bring the turkeys into Maryland, they put them right up on Green Ridge. That's where they let them out at. Well, the turkeys fly across the border back into Pennsylvania. It's almost like they knew where the border was. Or that they knew where their old habitat was. Right. So uh, yeah. I always thought that was funny. But, uh, you know, knowing how Maryland's... Yeah natural resources were in the department at that time. That didn't surprise me. Uh, I get somebody, I bet somebody in Pennsylvania had a good laugh out of that one though. Well, I do have one more story 
and we'll we'll wrap it up after this. This is kind of an odd one too. Uh, these this is another story that was sent to me years ago. So it starts out, hello, I have a weird story I'd like to present for your consideration. There's no explanation as to what occurred, though I personally believe the supernatural was at play. It was the Christmas season in 1958. My parents and I lived in a small home in eastern Tennessee. We survived on what little money my mother could make doing odd jobs for other people in the area. My father was wounded during the Korean War, and he received a monthly pension from the government. I was eight years old at the time. Now, after school, I would work around the house and help care for my father. I knew that money was tight and figured there wouldn't be any gift-giving that year, but we made the best of what we had. A few days before Christmas Day, I was lying in bed and started hearing noises coming from outside my window. It sounded like children playing and laughing. I got out of bed and looked out the window. I noticed several blue lights bobbing about in my mother's garden. I went and woke my mother. She got up and we walked out onto the porch. We both clearly witnessed the blue lights moving up and down above the garden. It was very cold, so we went back into the house and watched from my bedroom window. The lights were there for over an hour and continued moving about. We were very tired, so we both went back to sleep. Now, in the morning, we were sitting at the table eating breakfast. My parents were discussing the blue lights. My father said that he heard of a similar occurrence when he was a boy. The deacon at his church commented to the several of his congregation that he noticed blue lights outside the rectory one evening. His explanation was that there were angels watching over the church. The, the, few, the next few nights I watched for the lights, but they never returned. So on Christmas Eve, a few family friends stopped by the house during the day to wish us happy holidays. My friend Larry came over also. We listened to the radio for most of the afternoon. Neither one of us had ever had a television in our homes. I mentioned that I, it would be nice to have one, but I knew that we could never afford it. I told Larry about the blue lights and the story that my father had told me. Larry said that his Uncle Joe told him the same story about the blue lights outside the church rectory, so I figured that it must have happened. Larry also said that his Uncle Joe mentioned that there were little people with big heads and large eyes who lived in the mountains. I asked Larry if his Uncle Joe had ever seen these little people. Larry said that he didn't think so. That evening, my parents and I were sitting in the front room when we heard what sounded like footsteps on the porch. My father went to investigate, but he didn't see anything unusual. I then told them what Larry's Uncle Joe had told him. My father just smiled and said that old Joe told a lot of good stories, though most of them just were not true. My father then said that he remembered a story that old Joe told him one day. My father said that old Joe told him that the little people of the mountain would bring gifts to folks they liked. He said that old Joe thought that the little people were really aliens 
because he had seen lights fly off the mountain at night. I prodded my father to tell me more, but he said that old Joe told too many stories that were flat-out lies. It was about 10 p.m., so I was sent off to bed since we were going to church on Christmas morning. I woke in the middle of the night to get a drink of water. I didn't notice the time, but I believed it was around 1 a.m. Or, 1 a.m. or so. I walked out of my room and into the hallway. I noticed that some giggling and laughter I had heard the night I witnessed the blue lights. The sound was coming from the front room. I slowly walked down the hallway and peered around the corner. There was nothing there, but I did see a square shape on the floor by the bookshelf. I turned on the room light. It was a brand new television set, a Motorola. I remember letting out a scream and hearing my mother running down the hallway. She saw me standing in front of the bookshelf, not knowing what was going on. Then she noticed the television. I can still remember the strange look on her face. She turned and ran back into her bedroom, yelling all the way. I could hear her asking about the television while my father answered, what television? We sat in the front room, just staring at the television, occasionally looking at each other. We never figured out how it got there. I'd like to think it was the little people in the mountain. In fact, that's what old Joe told everybody who'd listen. <laughs> so there you go. It's a, it's a good Christmas tale. Blue lights, little lights all over the place. <laughs> Murph lights. Yeah. So look, I want to, I want to thank you all for coming on tonight. I want to thank everybody for listening to the show. And uh, I want to thank each and every one of you. Uh, let's see. We got some more donation. Harry Toledo, uh, Lala Bright, and uh, Mortal Clown with another donation. So it's very much appreciated, as always. And uh, I, I'm glad we did this tonight because I, I do like telling these stories. So anyway. But uh, if you donate, it's truly appreciated. Your support's what makes all this possible. So please like, subscribe, and share as well. If you have a sighting or encounter report that you would like to be considered for the personal report show or post on Phantoms of Monsters, please feel free to forward to my email at lawnstricklerfantomsofmonsters.com. So, look, Sean, Bernadette, I want to wish you both a very Merry Christmas, a happy holiday. Merry Christmas. And, uh, you know, maybe you're, uh, it might not be a TV, but maybe the little people bring something for (laughs) y'all. Thanks for that, Lon. Merry Probably Christmas. Probably headaches. Happy <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I'm going to bag one for you, Lon, in case they do show up. Okay, that sounds good. I mean, good. trap it. He may yeah, it. yeah I, I want a live one. <laughs> so, um, I want, again, thank you two for showing up tonight, and uh, we'll do it again, and uh, I, I appreciate it immensely. Thank you, Lon. You all take care. Thank you, Lon. Mm-hmm. Happy Christmas, guys. <laughs> so, folks, again, uh, Merry Christmas to each and, one, each and every one of you. I don't know if I'm going to have a show next Friday. I'll try to, though. But anyway, uh, y'all have a good weekend. Stay safe. And we'll talk soon. Good night.